You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Mulcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You listen to Making Tracks. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today for episode 166 of the show is a man who doesn't wear the suit, but you can hear his voice. It's Mark Mulcaster. Mark, how are you doing? I'm all right. How about yourself? I have a confession to make. Uh-huh. I've built the arcade machine. Have you now? Well done, you. I've built it. You, I built all it. by I, yourself? I, all by myself. Well done. And I don't know why I prevaricated. So what I do, because I'm a lazy bugger, but I actually started building it. I was told by friend of the show, Martin Keeler, who's got one as well, and he said, it took me three hours. I thought, well, if it took you three, I'm rubbish at stuff like this. It would take me four. Yeah. Have I got four hours to do this? No. And I just woke up yesterday morning thinking, I'm going to build this damn thing. And it took me exactly three hours. Well, there you go. How is it in terms of uh, size? It's not that bad, actually. It's about, I would say, you have a pedestal for it. So there's a sort of a, a neat little, so the last thing you build, um, if you follow the instructions correctly, which weirdly I did, the machine's probably four foot tall. The pedestal's about just over a foot. So I'd say the whole thing is about just over five foot tall. Okay. So it's just nice, actually. I mean, I'm 6'4, so I'm Deep not, in cracked, not yeah. leaning that, but not too much. Yeah, you sort of take a step back and, and it's perfect. And the gameplay is brilliant. It's exactly as you remember. But it, it is, it's Star Wars Empire and Jedi. So back in the day, played the Star Wars arcade to bits. Yeah. It was never any good, and I'm no better now, but it's just fun. Crank up the sound. you got the volume controls, so crank up the sound. And Jedi played a lot, and I was really rubbish at Jedi, because that's a nightmare trying to get that speed of white to those trees. That is hard, just yeah. Horrible. I mean, oh, man. I didn't play Jedi until only the other year. So it would have been probably a year or so before the lockdown, and I was at uh, one of the show masters retro gaming festivals um had great fun on star wars but return of a jedi that is difficult the speeder bike kind of whizzes along really quickly and like you have no time to react i imagine that if i was to get this cabinet and it's probably a good job that i don't that it will probably get launched through a window at some point <laughs> one you know probably on return of a jedi and I've never played Empire Arcade. It's Hoth, isn't it? It's Hoth. It's all 3D vector graphics, yeah. just like Star Wars. So the same thing with the TIE mm. Fighters and the, you know, and the energy balls and all that, except you're trying to dodge asteroids, which is, like, really hard. What new stuff has come into your collection this week? Nothing. Yeah, and I've been paid. Do you know what? I have, And I haven't even thought about anything. <laughs> I, do you know what it is? I think it's partly because I've, I've uh, not ordered as much figures and stuff. Mm. And the figures that I have ordered... I don't think are coming until like July and August. You know, yeah. like I ordered the uh, Return of a Jedi slash Hasbro exclusive from Celebration, but that's not. Oh, the Vader. Yeah, the, Vader the, the, red the Red Vader. Box, yeah. yeah, which I know yeah. my good friend Phil Parker is not a fan of. Yeah, that's, I don't think, coming until like 1st of August, I think. So I don't think I have anything. It's a sad state of affairs. I, I should rectify that really for next week. That'll be my homework. That's a great justification <laughs> to Karen when, when an arcade box turns up and go, Mark made me buy it. Seriously, if you want an arcade box, I yeah, have, but a, you have box. a box. Yeah, 
No, it's like the cabinet underneath, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's how you phrase it, isn't it? I've not had anything Star Wars-wise this week. Okay. But what I have got is, because, as as you know, and we talk about it a lot, limited for space in certain parts of the room anyway, I've got a lot of slat walling, so I put the stalks on the wall. Yep. And the initial stalks were sort of maybe three inches, so you can get two or three figures on a stalk, Mm -hmm. which when I started out was fine. But now as it's gone on, I've moved on to six-inch stalks, and now I'm up to 12-inch stalks. Oh, wow. So it was like replacing all the stalks to, to get more stuff on. So I've managed to sort of rejig a lot of the figures on the wall and, and fit more on. Hi, everyone. This is Misty Roses, and you are listening to Fanta Tracks. I have spoken. Pedro Pascal has admitted, and not that it's the biggest reveal in the world, that every time you see the Mandalorian on screen, it's not actually him in the armour all the time. Shock horror. In fact, <laughs> shock horror. In fact, more often than not, he's just doing the voice. So he was talking to a Hollywood reporter. He was on a round table with a number of other folks and the topic of Mandalorian came up. We've got two shows, Last of Us and The Mandalorian. Presumably you don't always have to be present for The Mandalorian. Pedro says, correct. That can just be voiceover. And then Kieran Culkin, who was also on the panel, says, is that true? Pedro, for a lot of it, yeah. So, what do you make of this? Again, it's no big shock, it's, really, it's, is it? It's no big shock, and I think we had all worked out anyway, because I don't think Brandon Mac got credited for season two, I don't think. And definitely, obviously, season one, it was very much, oh, no, Pedro Pascal is a Mandalorian. We put him all up for all these Emmys and stuff like that, and so therefore he needed to be there. That's the thing. It's like the conversation is there's a lot of stunt work going on in Mandalorian. And it's expensive to ensure your, your actors to do stunt work. That's assuming if they even want to do it or can do it. Maybe it also, I wonder if he's distancing himself from a Mandalorian, not because it's mm. of any negativity, but so he's not being put into the Mandalorian box all the time when he has all these other fantastic shows out. But he does act in like, it was fantastic in Narcos, I thought. I suppose you could then kind of go, well, let's put it into perspective, actually how much of a show he needs to be in. It would be interesting to kind of delve in a little bit deeper with that and kind of find out, you know, what kind of stuff he does appear on screen in. Is it certain shots or is it like certain episodes where maybe there's more acting rather than running around and blasting stuff and what have you, or getting hit, tends to get his ass kicked quite a bit, to be fair. The thing I thought of more than anything was when you watch The Force Awakens, and they've never really discerned which was which, but obviously Peter Mayhew and Eunice Suetamo both played Chewie in that film because of Peter's mobility issues at that point. But when you saw a a sit-down close-up of Chewie, and you saw the eyes, because Peter had distinctive eyes, you knew that was him. And yet when it was a longer shot or a motion shot or a running shot, then it was Eunice, and there was quite a few other guys that did it as well. Pedro says, the things that you have to let go of in terms of what can be an OCD level of attention to detail. He's talking about when he watches the character on screen and he's like, well, I wouldn't do it like that, I'd do it like this. But you would imagine it's a scenario where he has positioned the whole scenario to be like this, because if he wanted to be in that suit, he'd be in that suit. I suppose it will come down to his scheduling, probably for one. And I suppose there's a lot of flexibility that opens up if you have not one but three guys who could potentially fill a role. Mm. That's quite yeah. helpful, especially if you've got one of those guys who's really busy on other shows. And nowadays, what with uh, the amazing ability companies like Respeacher, you wonder if he even needs to do the voice anymore. Jeff Bridges was on that round table, and Jeff Bridges says, because we're part of a collage and any actor or any character 
that's in a mask. And we know this from the past, how many different performers were involved in bringing Darth Vader uh-huh. to yeah. the screen in the original trilogy, let alone anything that's come since. So there's always this element of different performers do different things. There's a stunt guy does this and, and somebody may do that. And like you say, respeech and now it's only getting better. It's only getting more defined and detailed. So yeah, that's a great point. When, when do you get to the point where you don't even need Pedro Pascal to do the voice of the Mandalorian? Hi, this is Dorian Kinji, and you're listening to Fantha Tracks. So we're less than a month away from the release of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And speaking to the Dagobah Dispatch podcast, Kathleen Kennedy was discussing the potential future for Indiana Jones, made it very clear that she spoke to Steven Spielberg. They both agree that Harrison Ford is the actor who should play Indy. But that doesn't preclude the opportunity of there being an Indiana Jones TV series set within the world of Indiana Jones. So what do you think of that? If they're not going to do an Indiana Jones World series with Indiana Jones in it, is it valid? Is it worthwhile doing? Do you think there's other characters they could explore? What do you make of that? There's got to be a connection. I mean, because like, otherwise, surely it's just a period adventure, isn't it? I mean, you'd have to have some mm. kind of reference. I mean, the, the main enemies are the Nazis, so that's not something unique and specific to Indiana Jones. Collecting old relics and artefacts isn't really isolated to just Indiana Jones. I suppose it's how they connect it, or if it's just a case of, well, it's basically just an Indiana Jones-style adventure series that we're going to have a loose thread of connectivity, be it a few you know, familiar faces may pop up as cameos now and again, just to kind yeah. of create a bit of connectivity. I mean, because otherwise, you know, if we start going down like his long-lost sister's twice-removed nephew or something, Eric Jones... Now, especially now that Harrison's about to finish the role and kind of out of respect for the fact that he's doing it and that they've been with him recently on these press tours and he's getting quite choked up and emotional because the guy ain't getting any younger and he's rounding off and and finishing off characters. You know, he's finished off Han Solo, now he's finished off Indiana Jones. So there's there's a bittersweet element to that. But we did have the young Indiana Jones Chronicles where a number of actors played Indy in different time periods. In fact, in the movies, we had... River Phoenix yeah. play a young Indiana Jones. So there are other actors who've played Indy and can play Indy, but no one's ever going to do that role better than Harrison. But in terms of a TV show, I would love to see an animated indie show. But in terms of live-action television, there's been rumours going around of an Abner Ravenwood series, Marion's father, who was obviously a friend of Indy's, mm-hmm. a mentor, really, in his younger days. And if, given the guy's just won an Oscar, Kihoi Kwan is back in a big way, if you could a ever get round. him back to do a short round series, I mean, can you imagine how cool that would be? You know, Harrison's finished with the role now, that's understood. And and there's other things going on at the moment with technology. You know, how would you want to play it? Harrison's done. Could you do a Harrison Ford looking Indiana Jones without actually needing Harrison Ford to do it? And this is something we talk about all the time on the show. We do. Would you want to, I know, the risk of repeating ourselves, you know, would you want to do that? And one of the points I made in the article on Fanta was that you could have a series that's set in an era that's that's in the 50s, 40s, 30s, 60s, whenever you want to do it. And if you've got the tech to do it, bring in Indy for a brief scene a la Luke turning up in The Mandalorian or Luke turning up in Book of Boba Fett if you want to. But then where's the value in that? It's, it's kind of cool in the moment. It's a zeitgeist thing. But yeah, yeah how do they want to play it? I don't know. I suppose it also depends upon how much sign-off Harrison Ford would have on yeah. on that. He's done, done now, and going back and especially doing something on TV for you know, for a cinematic character like Indy, and I'm I'm speaking from his perspective, whether or not sure. he thinks that you know that is just somehow diluting his last performance with Dial of Destiny. In some respects, 
the problem is with everything is it's saying that something especially in this day and age this is the final whatever that only goes so far i mean i would love somebody to have like you know the real artistic integrity and say do you know what this is the final indiana jones film and then sure they can kind of do a different incarnation of it but there isn't an indiana jones i'd actually like for somebody to double down and actually do that rather than kind of go well actually we just made two billion dollars out of the of a movie you know the movie so why the hell would we say this is the final one because you have like shareholder pressure from Disney, who obviously gagging for uh, a spike in their shares and stocks and stuff. I'm sure Indiana Jones is only as done as Indiana Jones is done. If Dial of Destiny does the same sort of money as Crystal Skull, which did what 800 million yeah. 15 years ago, yeah, I think if Dial of Destiny did that well, I think everybody would be pretty happy with that. I think it's probably cost a lot of money because with you know all the yeah. COVID concerns and everything else, and then Harrison injuring his shoulder, which people forget about. You know, the film was put on the shelf for a little while yeah. and it should have come out June last year and they put it back 12 months so a lot of this has been filmed a long time ago so I have no doubt and with the technology that's being used of course that this has not been a cheap film to make you're probably looking at 200 million and change so it's got to make a lot of money it's got to make Crystal Skull money to have really covered its nose but if it does that much money like you say you've got to wonder well people are really getting back into it and people are enjoying seeing India again and like you just said you know in America you get the four movies plus Young Indy. Mm. In the UK, you just get the four movies, and in other parts of the world, you just get the four movies. Yeah. But nevertheless, if people are showing an interest in the streaming numbers are up and everything else, you've got to imagine that somewhere at Lucasfilm, somebody's going to say, maybe, you know, Indy had some good villains, and not that you can use all of them, but maybe there's some that you could do something with. And I think Short Round's the one to put your money on. I think that would be phenomenal yeah, if you could cool. do that. Hey, it's Alyssa Wong, writer of Dr. Afra, and you're listening to Fanthatrax. It's already happened, so as you listen to this, you will not be able to go to Disney Plus and watch Willow anymore. The show came out 2022, reviewed it on Fanthatrax. Considering this only came out less than 12 months ago, to be pulled off Disney Plus seems very surprising. What did you make of this, Mark? It's part of a larger process that Disney are going through at the moment. They're sort of redefining and streamlining and making cuts here, there, and everywhere, but... Where's the value in pulling a show like Willow off Disney Plus? Unless they're going to try and sell it on and syndicate it either to another streaming platform or stick it on ABC or something like that. They kind of isn't. I spoke to somebody who worked on it and because obviously we don't get the option to buy physical like releases anymore, Blu-rays and DVDs for mm. Disney Plus stuff, she kind of likened it almost to like a, a form of creative censorship, you know, for those who worked on it. It feels like the heartache and the stress and everything that they went into putting on the show. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't really the greatest of series that I've watched on Disney+, Plus, but it wasn't by any stretch of imagination probably the worst, by my opinion anyway. For those who are working on it, I think they feel like it's a bit of a slap in the face because this happened so quickly. I don't quite know what they're trying to do unless they're trying to, harness the, the marketing kind of machine that they used so well through the 80s and 90s about restricting access to their releases by saying like you know you've got to get in and and pick up a, a copy of lion king now before it goes away f you know back into the disney vault but this you know this doesn't have that kind of marketing kind of spin about it this feels like this is just purely a a streamlined service thing which is just a bit odd because Surely, if it's just sat there on Disney+, Plus, it's not taking up a huge amount of space in terms of data. No. John Caston talking about it, he said, I've been quiet on this news that Willow is leaving Disney+, Plus because I'm kind of into it. I grew up at a time when Disney movies 
were periodically re-released and not available to own, and it made them more special. I think he's putting a, a very positive spin on what, for him and the crew and the cast, must be quite a sad time. Yeah. I commend him for that attitude. It does make sense. If you read the black and white of what he says, it, you know, he is from that time period mm. when you couldn't buy everything. You'd rent it, but especially Disney would pull movies for seven years and not bring them out again. So the logic's there, but the genie's out the bottle now. Things have been pirated forever and a day. All those people that were halfway through watching Willow and then couldn't watch the rest of it when it got pulled from Disney Plus know that there's somebody out there that somehow, whatever nefarious way they did it, they will be able to watch Willow if they really want to find it. George Lucas could pull every copy of Holiday Special he would. <laughs> it's not it's not something that you can do. No. So that horse has bolted, hasn't it? Yeah, and also the thing is, traditionally with the, the Disney film releases, they would do a, a cinematic release and then they would maybe a year or so later do another cinematic release and then it would be made available on VHS. You know, and at that point, you definitely know whether or not that film's a hit or miss. This... I don't think it's really been out for long enough. And I also don't necessarily think if um, Disney Plus wait five years and go, that's it, everybody. Good news. We're re-releasing the Willow series. There will be much of a fanfare. People will be like, oh, cool. I mean, the thing is, like with Netflix and some of the other streaming platforms, they kind of basically have the rights to some of these shows in a similar kind of way as you would have rights for kind of TV. I know there's been a couple of series that Karen's been watching on Netflix and she's kind of suddenly had to binge the last season because it actually comes up on Netflix. Like it'll say somewhere like, you know, being removed from this date. But they give mm. you a little bit of time to try and finish off the season. They don't seem to have done it with much kind of like notice for people. It's a bit quick when you think about it. Very strange, slightly odd. And a little bit worrying because you just wonder, like, would they do that to a Star Wars series? Would they do that to Star Wars Resistance? Well, I was going to say this, you know, you look at some of the Star Wars projects, obviously there's a high profile stuff, they're not going to pull those, same with Marvel. But then you look at things like your Ewoks and Droids. Yeah. We've just got them available. You can watch them all now. It's fantastic. But they may look at that as, as low hanging fruit. It's like, well, who really cares about that? And let, let's move that off. Let's move some of the other documentaries off, and all of a sudden you've got this wonderful archive of Star Wars stuff that's on Disney Plus that suddenly starts having holes in it. Like you said, you know, physical media is not what it used to be. I'd love it to go back to being a physical purchase thing. Yeah. I, I, nevertheless, it is very handy to have it on Disney Plus. So do you think, I mean, we're spitballing now, but do you think that could happen? Do you think that would be something they would think? What, what would the value in that be? Mm, yeah, it's interesting because they, they did pull off a couple of Marvel series, didn't they? And I would have thought, Marvel and Star Wars would probably be ring-fenced pretty well. You would kind of think those are the kind of evergreen franchises that they probably wouldn't want to do. What's the metrics by which they have decided to pull these uh, these shows off of? Is it just because yeah. they're just not being watched by people? You know, I don't know many diehard Ewoks and Droid fans who are regularly watching it. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I don't think I've even finished watching all the droids. So I might have to think about sitting down and doing that pretty soon, just in case. It makes you wonder. It does make you wonder what they would want to pull in later times because one of the attractions of Disney Plus as a subscriber is the fact that it's it's all there. And it's Mm. not that you are going to sit and watch all of it. I might wake up one day and just think I'm going to watch season two of Ewoks because I can, and it's there if I want to do it. But if it's not there, of course, it makes you more eager to see it but you can't see it, you know? So you're pulling out your old VHS and watching the, the grainy version that we watched back in the day. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. 
for Star Wars News 24 7, 365. On the promotional tour for his new film, The Machine, Mark Hamill has been talking about all sorts of Mark Hamill related stuff. One of them is the potential of him returning in the future as Luke Skywalker. Of course, he turned up in The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett using what they call deep fake technology. It's a bit more nuanced than that. But obviously, with the sequel trilogy sequel itself, with Daisy Ridley coming out in a couple of years' time, that's set 15 years after the events of Rise of Skywalker, there's always the potential for Mark to return as Luke, as the Force Ghost, as he did in Rise of Skywalker. In response to that, Hamill said, no, I don't have any expectations of that happening. So, Mark has returned before. There is an element of Liam Neeson saying, I'll never do television, and then turning up within weeks on Derry Girls and Obi-Wan Kenobi. So it could be a misdirect. Do you think he's really done with it, or do you think he's a bit of a misdirect? He's kind of had a bit of a renaissance, hasn't he? Like, since The Force Awakens, people kind of remember that actually Mark does more than just the Joker. That actually he can act, and he is an actor... I wonder if it's just that slight... Let's try and not always have the headlines about Mark Hamill, about um, Luke Skywalker, which is just always going to be the nature. And it doesn't, and it doesn't matter. You know, Probably he's been quite realistic, but actually with the Skywalker saga, quote-unquote, now being wrapped up and Lucas has spent so much time during the Rise of Skywalker press talk, hammering that home to everybody, you can say this is the end of the Skywalker saga. I think he's kind of like got a fairly positive slant on it i think you know because ultimately what would be worse would it be worse actually he says this or actually turns around and it sounds like you know we find out that he's calling kathleen every 10 minutes trying to find if he's going to get a a role or not yeah yeah. and if he is going if it is going to be a role it's probably going to be a cameo it kind of comes back to that whole thing of like he's now a force ghost his kind of his whole journey is completely done really in some respects Um, yeah i mean it would be cool and i suppose Look at Daisy, look at John Boyega. After Rise of Skywalker, they were kind of like, now nah, I want to do other stuff. And now Daisy's back in the film and suddenly John Boyega is kind of saying, yeah, I'd be open to uh, taking uh, another thin role and uh, doing doing something for Star Wars. So it, it could just be that, you know, and I'm sure if the Daisy film does blockbusters and, and makes a load of money and they greenlight a, a sequel, I bet he'd be more open to it as well then. You know, mm. they would also be more, you know, open to it as well. That era started to get established, and yeah, possibly you could have that. The one of the best scenes in the whole of Air to the Empire was that literally that second chapter where Luke says goodbye to Ben on the rooftop of Coruscant, where he's kind of yeah. saying like, you know, the distance be- between us has become too great. I-, I can no longer really kind of maintain his connection, so he's kind of saying he, he needs to completely fully pass over. So there's potential that something like that could happen. Maybe, yes, over the last 15 years, Ray has been instructed by Luke quite a bit, or maybe if they've had conversations, but maybe it gets to a point whereby actually Luke turns around and kind of goes, we can't keep on doing this, you know, or like... (laughs) I've taught you everything I can teach you. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, pretty much, and then some. And in fact, you know, she's got the books that he clearly didn't read. True. Me personally wouldn't necessarily take it as too much of a negative. I just think that maybe he's being fairly realistic about potentially the future for Star Wars and his character. Luke's journey did end, and Mark says it here, did end in The Last Jedi. And to come back as a Force goes makes all the sense. And how could he not turn up in the very last Star Wars movie as, as it was kind of, or, or certainly the very last Skywalker saga movie? But of course, they very cleverly left the door open by making Ray a Skywalker. So you can still kind of spin off that. Yeah. 
Yeah, that moment from Ace the Empire was was very powerful when, and, and that was only what five years, six years after Jedi. Yeah. So you know, it's not that long since really since Ben has passed. Yoda turning up in the Last Jedi—that's thirty plus years after he died in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. But they are an Acto, which is kind of a hub for the Force, and it's Yoda. So that makes sense. But you're right. I suppose as an actor, Hamill has had the opportunity and it's not been given to him. It's not just because it's Mark Hamill, you know, he's, he earns everything he gets, but he's done a lot of varied stuff. And I guess in the moment, the thought of just rocking up and wearing that robe again that he wore for the last three films and being the force spirit, it probably doesn't light him up that much. He wasn't at celebration this year, which I know a lot of people were hoping to see him. So hopefully, I guess for himself and you know his own career and sanity, I guess probably want to put Star Wars and Luke in the rearview mirror to a certain point because right now he's promoting the machine and soon he'll be promoting other stuff. But it's slightly different to his character turning up in the Book of Boba Fett or The Mandalorian because then going back to the comment that Jeff Bridges made in the, in the previous segment saying you're part of a collage. When Hamill's playing Luke as a force ghost with Ray 15 years after the events of Rise of Skywalker, it's Mark Hamill and there's nothing other than the blue shimmering yeah. lights put on him and, that, and and that's him doing the role. But when he's playing a younger Luke, it's him and then the other fella that's, that's sort of standing in on the set and then there's the tech guys and there's ILM everywhere and he, he's just part of the collage, isn't he, when he's playing a younger Luke. That's probably more interesting and more engrossing for him as an actor than just playing the old ghost Luke. I can see if he came back in Ahsoka or or season four of The Mandalorian, if they ever make it, whatever they do, that's probably more interesting as an actor than standing there looking pompous in a cloak. No, you're right. The question is whether or not that's even a possibility. Do they now really need Mark on set for that? He was a bit like... Peter Mayhew was with Jonas. Mm. He was teaching him how to be Chewbacca. You're basically teaching Graham Skywalker to be Luke Skywalker because it's kind of that whole cinematic trickery of actually we're trying to really trick the audience into believing that what they're seeing is a younger, 35-year younger Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill. Now, if part of the agreement was that he had to be on set for them to use his likeness and stuff and actually have Mm. some kind of input, then fair play to him because actually I quite like that. It kind of does create a certain legitimacy to the performances. However, it's whether or not that is something that needs to happen going forward. It doesn't look like they're going to ever recast a Luke Skywalker as an adult. Then it's like it's whether or not he comes to some kind of agreement, probably with maybe six or seven zeros after it, Mm -hmm. to allow Lucasfilm to continue to use his likeness in a live action show or film for for these kind of projects. But you would kind of think he probably would, wouldn't he? I really don't see him turning down a cameo, unless, of course, it again, it goes completely against the grain of the character. If they're going to do it, it's going to be slightly more for fan service and I think for anything really necessary for the plot. And it would be the same kind of thing if they decided to bring Yoda back, as far as we're aware. Ray's never had any interaction with Yoda. True. But you could imagine that they would bring him back as a Force Ghost because, you know, it's Yoda, and why not? But then maybe we, we see a 100-year-old a Grogu. Yeah. That could be a possibility. Hi, this is David W. Collins, voice actor for Star Wars and sound designer at Skywalker Sound. You are listening to Tracks. We have a very relevant listener's question to this topic. Mm. Paul from Australia sent in the question, 
Hi guys, just a quick thought and question. Do you think there's a possibility that in Dave Filoni's movie, we could see a cameo reunion of Luke, Leia and Han that was denied us in the sequel trilogy? Surely, given the technology available, this would be possible. Keep up the great work. Kindest regards always. Paul from Australia. So Paul's totally tuned into to what we're thinking at the moment. Hamill, if he's around, if he's able to do it, if he's invited, I mean, that's a key point. And then the numbers stack up, of course, it's a business. So if all those things are on the table and everything works out, you would imagine that you could get Mark Hamill back to play a younger version of Luke. Is there the technology? Is it a possibility that you don't even need the original actor to be able to do this version of a younger Han Solo, let's say? So you don't need Harrison Ford anymore to act out the scene like he has done in Dial of Destiny. So could they do that with Han Solo? Is it something that's conceivable? Is it something that works? Can ILM do that? Is that something that's in their power to do? And would Harrison Ford be agreeable to it? The real tricky one of that three, you would imagine, is Leia. Lucasfilm and Disney said straight away, we're not going to touch Leia. We're not going to do anything with her going forward beyond Rise of Skywalker out of respect to Carrie Fisher. But if somebody sat down and had a quiet conversation with Billy Lord and said, We've got this great idea for Leia and we've got the tech to do it. We want you involved and this is the voice actress we will get to do Leia's voice and this is the ideas we've got. And if Billy could see the the upside of that, not just from a business point of view, but from a creative point of view, and says, I give my blessing for that to happen because she seems very much the keeper of the flame in that sense of a mother's legacy. Do you think that cameo reunion could happen if all the things stacked up? I've not seen the latest season of Picard and all I have been hearing is that they basically get the old crew back together and i will no doubt sit down and watch it and probably like many a person have a bit of a cry about it when i do finally watch it one of the biggest complaints i think i've heard about the sequel trilogy is that they didn't get the the old cast back together inside the cockpit of a millennium falcon to be honest yeah i kind of do think that they missed an opportunity by not getting all three back together in the same place same space for at least one scene so would doing it digitally fulfill that box or would that slightly seem like a bittersweet sentiment? Because, I mean, you know, if they're going to do it and going to double down, because we've only really seen one digital de-aged character in in a scene at the same time. But so to get three people to do that, I think that would be pretty remarkable. And like you said, you're going to have to get Billy Lord, you're going to have to get Harrison and you're going to have to get Mark Hamill to sign off. Now, Mark and Harrison have done that for other projects. Indiana Jones and obviously The Mandalorian, etc. So, yes, whether or not Billy Lord will do that, I would like to see it. But then, to be honest, I'd also quite happily accept and take a classic Star Wars animation adventure rather than it having to be kind of slightly change the medium a little bit and therefore you're not studying it, you're not comparing it in the same kind of way. You know, if there's a little bit of a different style to it or something like that. We're kind of walking into very interesting and and slightly uncharted territories when it comes to machine learning. And I've been looking into a lot of this recently and, you know, there's a lot of people who are deadly, deadly scared by the whole process because they feel like it's going to take away jobs and stuff like that when actually it can do, but also then it kind of can enhance some of those jobs and it's how you handle it. This is some of this technology is going to be used and has been used in Indiana Jones and other productions. So that kind of future is totally with us now. It's been with us for a couple of years. They just don't kind of make such a big song and dance over it because I think there's a slight negative connotation to using the technology in, in certain ways like that. But if we were to just kind of look at the ends rather than the means, it would be a big gamble. You'd have to make sure that you absolutely nailed it. And, you know, yeah. and so far anyway, at least with Mark, 
they did at points and then at other points it was a little bit uncanny so it'll be interesting to see what they've done with Dial of Destiny as well see how that opening what 20 minutes which is all meant to be set the past yeah. see how that shapes up because I think again on one hand you know there'll be some shots in there which will look fantastic and I wonder if there's going to be a couple of shots in there where you just kind of go hmm maybe they've yeah. just kind of pushed it as far as it can go for the time being it would be bittersweet because a lot of people, and me included, was hoping, very much hoping, just for one scene, just one time to see those three guys together. And really, when you think back to the OT, you don't see them together well, that this much is, in the OT. Yeah, to be fair, mate, this is partly, you know, my counter to those people. Mate. And, you know, if you think about how often they're together for that whole trilogy. It's minimal. It's, yeah, screen time is minimal. That's obviously been expanded upon because of the comics and, and everything else. And you always feel like they're the big three and they, they do everything together, like they're going to spend every single holiday with each other and stuff like that. And, you know, they live like the friends in, in New York City, literally on top of each other. <laughs> yeah. doesn't seem like it. It seems like they were kind of pulled together for like one instance. They've got this bond, obviously, and, you know, now Leia's married to Han and so therefore there's like family relations and stuff. You know, actually, if you were to just take those three films, you'd be like, we're together for a little while and then we did other things. They spend more time with the droids than they do with each other. Yeah. Is there a possibility that you'd see that in Filoni's movie? Personally, I think Filoni's more than likely going to focus on his own characters than feel the need to pull in Luke, Leia and Han. So I don't personally think that it would happen in a Filoni film. Would it happen in another avenue? I think the technology, as we know, it, it's running rampant now, so it's only going to get better and better. Dial of Destiny for 2023 is going to be the acid test. Like you say, if it comes off good and there's not too many moments when you go, ooh, that didn't work, if that's absent, then we might have got over the hurdle of that sort of issue, hampering these type of projects then potentially the doors are really open for all sorts of stuff. But again, I would imagine it would need the permission of Mark Hamill or his family or Carrie Fisher's family or Harrison Ford himself or in time his family to allow them to do that. But yes, there's definitely potential. But personally, I don't think you'll see it in a Filoni film. Hi, this is Julie Dolan, the voice of Princess Leia. And you're listening to Fanthatrax. It's your only hope. So we return back to Ewood Park in Blackburn, Star Wars Fan Fun Day 2023, another one of our conversations with the guests at the show. This time it's Philip Herbert. Philip played Hermie Odell in the Jabba's Court scenes from Return of the Jedi. So this is myself and Philip sitting down having a chat all about Return of the Jedi at Star Wars Fan Fun Day 2023. So we're here at Star Wars Fan Fun Day. I'm here with Philip. How's the show gone for you so far? Do you know, it's gone very quickly today. Um, it was very busy and lots of new people that I haven't met before, lots of familiar faces as well. Yeah. I haven't done that many, so I think in terms of collecting autographs, I'm quite rare. Yeah. But I have recognised quite a few people, and I thought, I've seen you at so-and-so, I saw you at Olympia or whatever. But no, it's been really good. It's been friendly and intimate. That's a great way of yeah. describing Fun Fun Day, it really is. What, why don't you do so many shows? Because he's such a recognisable character, and obviously Jedi being 40 this year. I'm quite choosy. Um, I don't like to say yes to everything. I'm, I have to make sure it's properly organised, because I have been mucked about in the past. Right. Um, so that's the reason I don't do a lot. But I will, you know, it's 40 years since Return of the Jedi. We're all getting on. Yeah. Uh, so now is the time to do as many as possible. And can, I mean, this is the most obvious question ever. Can you believe it's 40? It was 41 for you, isn't it? You filmed it in 82, so. Yeah, it came out in 83. Yeah, yeah. I know, I'll be thinking about it coming up 
<coughs> in the car thinking 40 years has passed and it's even now it's even stronger yeah the the fan base and the sort of passion that people feel for the characters people know more about the characters than i do <laughs> i mean it was a massive thing when jedi came out it was huge because of the, the previous two being such massive hits so it's not like it's never been a big deal but does it surprise you that now we're not 10 not 20 not 30 but 40 years on it's still you know you're still doing things like this there's still star wars is everywhere and there's whole families coming together that's the thing today lots of children dressed up yeah our mums and dads with a couple of kids all in costume. It's fantastic fun for them and it's also fun for us. Yeah, yeah. Do you enjoy reminiscing about, about yeah, your time with the There's always stories to tell. Some you, cho you choose to share and yeah. some you don't. Yes. Um, but generally it was a very nice, very happy job. I was on a daily feed so they kept saying come back tomorrow. Yeah. Come back tomorrow. And they kept saying come back tomorrow for about three weeks. So. <laughs> It was lovely. And yeah. then they all moved off to the hovercraft thing on yeah. the sand dune. Yeah, yeah. And my costume was too tall for the actual set. Oh, OK. So that was why it was bye-bye, Hermie. Yeah, stayed back at the palace. Exactly. <laughs> Stay where you are. That's it. How did you get into the role? How did it come to you? I had an audition, a workshop audition, which was an all-day workshop trying to create characters. That was without costumes. Yeah. They were employing and looking for actors that had a physicality that could make characters work. Then we were shortlisted in the afternoon, and then we were cast, and then we had wardrobe fittings to check, really, the costume. Yeah. It was very heavy. It was on two chains that were lowered down. My boots were on my legs. My gloves were on my hands. The actual shape of the monster was lowered down, and then the, the rubber face was attached at the front. Gotcha. But I wasn't ever in the suit unless we were filming because it was such a rigmarole getting it down. Yeah. But once it was down and I was in it, I was in it. Right. And they just took the head off so that I could at least see what was going on. There was all those famous moments in the makings of where, you know, they're putting hair dryers down the mouth of the gamma and guards and such because of the heat, obviously. I'm presuming in a costume like that you felt it as well. Yes. I had a little video camera just above sort of on the top of my forehead. Yeah. Not, obviously not now as small as it is, but it was a, a decent-sized camera yeah. and a little tiny monitor in the suit. Oh, wow. So I could vaguely see where I was going, yeah. although I was led around by two men. Yeah. And when you were on set, obviously there's a lot going on in the sequences you were in. Any memories of that? I mean, it was a, it was a busy set and a hot set, wasn't it? It was, and I remember that when we were all on the floor, the big thing was to keep the action moving no character should be still at any time because they suddenly drop and lose the life. So that was, that was the, the thrill of it, was to try and keep the character moving and living. Yeah. And once you've done Jedi, what other work have you done? Well, I've been an actor for 45 years, so I've, been a, I've done a bit of everything. Yeah. I've done carry-on, I've done musicals, I've done stage shows, cabaret. Really varied, really varied. You like it that way? And having this guy in that sort of cast of characters that yes, you portrayed. Yes, and this is the sort of thing that, to spend the whole day here and to see how confident and enthusiastic people are about collecting, makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, because there's not many fandoms like this, is there? It's quite unique. No, this is a very um, unusual one because it's so small. You can make more contact with people. Yeah, well, I'm glad we made contact with okay, you. Okay, lovely. Thanks for your You're time. You're more than welcome. All Thank you. Thank you. Straight.
Well, that is the end of this week's episode. So thank you very much for listening. And thank you to Paul for sending in that listener's question. And if you want to be like Paul, and you also would like to send in a listener's question or theory or comment or criticism, you can do so. So, Mark, can you let the good listeners know how they can get in touch? I certainly can. Thanks, as always, for listening to Making Tracks. If you want to be part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fantatracks.com or check out the free... Oh, free! Fantatracks app to the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Fantatracks.com, just like Paul did, just like other people have done, and hopefully people in the future. Send in the questions, comments, criticisms, as Mark says, anything you like, we will read it out. Comment, like, and share on any of our social media pages at Pantatracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one on Amazon Music Audible Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice and as always thanks to James Semple for composing the Fantatrax intro Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers remember tune in to Good Morning Tatooine it's live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK 4pm Eastern and 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Fantatrax radio Friday night rotation every Friday night 7 o'clock UK time for new episodes of the Phantom Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Discs your engines, collecting tracks, cannon fodder, and special episodes of making tracks. And tune in this week, it's a very special episode of Planet Layer with Vivian Lyra Blair. And every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks. And that's me done for this episode. Brilliant, 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 fantastic. Dude, you look after yourself, and I will catch up with you, no doubt, during the week. And if not, next week for Making Tracks episode 167, when it'll be my turn to try and come up with a witty little intro. So, for now, anyway everybody stay safe take care make sure you have a fantastic star wars filled week and of course until the next time may the force be with you coming up next on fanta tracks radio it's planet leia how is it in terms of uh, size <laughs> it's 